The healthcare industry is facing a constantly changing landscape where the agility to adapt to evolving customer expectations and innovate for the future are essential. With the shifts and disruptions impacting business operations, healthcare organizations need innovative solutions to keep up with industry standards and prepare for changes and uncertainty. Today on the Workday podcast, we're talking about the technology trends and strategies healthcare organizations are adopting to move forward and adapt in the changing world. I'm your host, Keith Lowcamp, and I'm joined by Ray Wong. Ray is a principal analyst, founder, and chairman at Constellation Research. Thanks for joining me today, Ray. Hey, Keith, awesome. Thanks for being here as well. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to catching up. Ray, before we dive in, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and your role at Constellation? Yeah, I'm a principal analyst and founder of Constellation Research. We are Silicon Valley-based research firm. We work with a number of healthcare CIOs, and we've been spending a lot of time thinking about what happens during the pandemic and post-pandemic in terms of a whole bunch of issues that surround CIO issues for healthcare leaders. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, you're having a lot of conversations with healthcare CIOs and other healthcare business leaders. Can you talk about some of the specific challenges that they've been sharing with you? Yeah, as you know, the healthcare industry has been challenged in so many different ways pre-pandemic, whether it was trying to manage supply chain efficiencies, whether it was trying to figure out accurate forecasting and planning, whether it was trying to deal with new types of healthcare models. And all of that came to a head when the pandemic hit and some. And so most of the CIOs we know in the healthcare arena have been trying a host of different things to find the right levels of budget, to ensure that patient care is being satisfied, to make sure that mergers and acquisitions or post-merger integration is continuing. And of course, it's been a very challenging and also dynamic time in healthcare. Yeah. I mean, so probably a lot of their time has been focused on responding to the pandemic. But, you know, are they able to really look at sort of balancing those challenges of reacting to the pandemic with also continuing to innovate? Well, in some cases, they've been taking a more standardized approach and that that has helped. I think one of the things that almost in every industry and especially healthcare realized is that you know, analytics is not something that's an afterthought. I mean, think about it. I mean, just nine months ago, people would look at their weekly reports and see how they were doing, maybe meet in a management team meeting and they'd be like, oh, wow, okay, that's not too bad. Today, you wouldn't even think twice before starting the day without analytics or insight or information. In fact, you're getting those streams of information all day. You, you wouldn't even wait a week to figure this all out. And that's part of the interesting shift that's going on. So, and, you know, we also see a need for scenario planning and forecasting. It's only gotten greater. Mm-hmm. Customers are also, and clients in the healthcare industry are really focused on making sure they get real healthcare industry expertise, especially when it comes to that insight, that analytics, uh, the timing of that, and of course, the privacy and security around that. And then, of course, we're definitely seeing a host of issues related to supply chain management, especially now trying to deal with cold supply chains as we're looking at being able to manage and handle the uh, vaccine distribution. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some things that we saw with our customers that they had to quickly pivot from doing an annual or even a quarterly plan and now needing to move to more of a monthly or even 
create multiple weekly. scenario plans. <laughs> yeah, weekly plans. I was speaking to someone and basically just trying to figure out ICU beds and ICU bed capacity and trying to deal with spikes and trying to figure out what to do with a lot of the procedures, right? There's a lot of private procedures that are actually being deferred. And what do you do? How do you forecast for that? How do you plan for that? Staffing is completely all over the map. You've got some physicians that are retiring earlier than expected. It's hard to get adequate nursing capabilities as well. It's all over the map and it's different in every location. And that's what makes this very challenging and and also very exciting. And are there specific analytics that they're now really relying on to help them make those predictions? So one of the interesting things about analytics and insight in the past with predictive models is in healthcare, it used to be very stable. You knew how many cases of heart disease you'd get. You know how many outpatient procedures would come through. You'd know what your A loss would be. And <laughs> now you don't, right? And so a lot of those models have been thrown out and been replaced. And I think what's actually happening, there's a combination of predictive uh, analytics, machine learning starting to take into place. And these models are being trained. And that's really on the high end. Now, on the basic level, I think everybody's starting to democratize the information and the insight of those analytics and insights by making available to frontline workers much more earlier. Uh, You're seeing that happen anywhere. So you can understand the impact of supply chain to staffing levels, to understanding how many beds you have available. And all that is coming together. Those used to all be sitting in silos. And that was part of the problem. I mean, you're like, great, we've got lots of beds. Yeah, but we've got no physicians. (laughs) Okay, good luck. You know, So those things are now being matched much more carefully as you were talking about earlier. But what have you been saying? Well, it's it's definitely what I've been seeing as well is that suddenly every supply chain executive is being asked to help with providing that visibility into what's happening and modeling what are going to be those PPE needs and the planning of staff and being able to redeploy them. And suddenly all those scenarios, as well as those analytics, suddenly are being elevated. So that's the first thing the executives are seeing every day. And really needing to to have that visibility to what's happening across the organization to really make those decisions in real time. And what's I think is going to be interesting is to see how much of these analytics and some of these scenario planning capabilities are going to persist and suddenly become the way of running the operations going forward. In a way, it's accelerating a trend that was happening before where we're starting to look at better scenario and better demand forecasting, for example, really getting a handle on that. Keith, you're completely right. We've accelerated a decade of adoption in less than a year. In terms of how we look at analytics and insight, we're not sitting around arguing about, hey, my Excel table is different than your Excel table. People are just like, "Uh, let's move on, please. We've got real things to worry about. So we've gone away from that. And I think that notion of sharing data across departments, breaking down functional fiefdoms, that's starting to happen. And I'm really excited about that. And staffing is interesting. I was talking to a couple of healthcare CIOs. They had to go out and basically they made their radiologists frontline. They've made pathologists frontline because they've got a shortage and they need to staff up. And so you're seeing a mix of disciplines. Credentialing is all over the map. I can say this about my wife. She's credentialed in like seven states and she's also got emergency credentialing in like eight. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> so so all those notions across state lines and healthcare, I mean, everything has been blown up and, and hopefully some of the good things stay and, and some of the things that could use some improvement get changed. Yeah. Well, you know, it's accelerating some of the digital transformation, but it's also then emphasizing the importance of being able to take advantage of technology to support analytics, support planning. I mean, I think that 
for a lot of organizations that were sort of reliant on Excel-based planning or you know analytics that wasn't shared across the organization, they were debating what's that source of truth. And different people were looking at different numbers, even if they had access to that that information. So it does seem like it's really helping to drive greater greater innovation. And Ray, what are you seeing in terms of organizations that are obviously dealing with sort of these day-to-day challenges? How are they continuing to think about innovation? Is it something that they have to do to be able to adapt? What are you kind of seeing we are definitely seeing that. Uh, we are seeing more and more of the CIO role and the chief digital officer role pop up in the healthcare environment. Sometimes they're the same individual. Sometimes they're reporting up to one individual, but we're definitely seeing that digital strategies are definitely coming into play. Classic example is some of the self-scheduling capabilities people have been doing, some of the abilities to uh, deliver care remotely and virtually, the ability to actually change the way people actually access analytics and insight. We're seeing some models where even things such as you know, robotic surgery, telemedicine, virtual care, they've all seen some massive improvements. And those are just the beginning of that capability. I think the other pieces are happening in the back end, making sure you have the right back office, the right ERP systems that are in play. I think that's become even more important given that transactional data is core to understanding the basic operations and then the ability to do strategic levels of planning. Yeah, you mentioned investing in enterprise business applications, and you do a lot of research on that area. Where do you think healthcare providers should be investing, and what's the importance of things like uh, cloud technology as well in terms of helping to accelerate digital transformation? The cloud's played a big role, and I think a lot of it is because healthcare institutions are constrained on technology resources, and you see it happen, whether it's through applications or governance and compliance or finance or HR, or even in terms of outreach to patients, the cloud's playing a bigger role because there are certain amounts of efficiencies. I think the first part is the fact that you're constantly getting updates. Things that normally would have taken you a long time to adopt are are happening in the cloud, and that innovation is there. The second piece that's so important is the regulatory and compliance. The cloud vendors, they build it once and they deploy everywhere. And you're getting massive economies of scale from that capability. And the third one is really, we've all been through here, like CapEx is hard to get a hold of. CapEx budgets are brutal. And and being able to move to an OpEx model helps a lot of institutions manage their cash flow and of course, take it to the next level. But I think the fourth thing is the most important piece is there's a lot of things that I would say you hope you're not managing. Just like with power and utilities, you don't run your own electric fire generating plant. That's not for you. Sometimes some of the areas around cloud and security are places that you want to put experts in and get economies of scale. So running your own data center, for some cases you might have to, some certain types of records you might keep in that way. But if you can get as many of your operations outside into the cloud, then you're actually doing well. And people often say things like, oh yeah, but what about security? And I'm like, you've got 2.5 FTEs in security my cloud vendor has a thousand. You tell me how your security is doing. <laughs> there's no comparison, right? But yeah, okay, fine. You, you keep your 2.5 FTEs in like security. So it's things like that where we're getting smarter about where we use the cloud, where we use applications and how we scale so we can focus on strategic initiatives like improving patient care, improving access, improving the ability to deliver better patient experiences. I think those are places where CIOs really want to spend more time. That's a great point. We see that all the time from our healthcare customers who are really looking to us to help with 
managing those data centers, managing that security so that they can spend more time on investments that are going to improve patient care. To your point about keeping up with compliance requirements, you know, as you see all the tax changes, the you know, payroll, everything that's happening constantly throughout the year, and particularly as you know, new legislation passed, the time that it would take for an individual hospital to keep up with that, a vendor like Workday can really do that at scale and roll that out to customers across the country. You know, Keith, you're right. You remind me of something too. It's also the massive amounts of data we're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, data from all sources and especially lots of external data. Uh, I mean, to be able to manage the data in the data centers, the security around that, that's pretty crazy. You've done a lot of your research. You talked about some of the trends around things like machine learning. And how do you think that's going to really impact the enterprise applications that healthcare providers are adopting? It's going to play a significant role. We see a couple things happening. And what machine learning does is it studies patterns. It applies algorithms to say, here's something that normally happens. And then the human training that goes along with machine learning helps you figure out the exceptions. Here's why the rules are being broken. Here's why someone circumvented a process. Here's why this exception makes sense in this case. And the combination of machine learning and human training with the machine learning capabilities, that's what's going to change our ability to get to a level of automation. What we're really trying to do is automate the tasks that are highly regulated, highly compliant. You don't want to make a mistake that are life changing, right? You don't want to make a critical error. And the ability to actually deliver on that a consistent basis and then understand when to surface of exceptions, that's really part of what we call precision decisions. The machine learning is going to get us there. The automation is going to help bring that together. And then over time, we're going to see a lot of ambient experiences pop up. So for example, maybe the 15 minute, you know, H&P consult for the physician is they say everything, it gets recorded, gets transcribed. That then allows people to find other drug interactions, patient interactions, interaction history to look at, any kind of billing changes. How do we actually hit interface with CMS? Maybe I even get your pharmacy script sent out earlier before you even leave the place and have it set to you know show up in your house the next day through a script service next door, right? That's the kind of stuff that gets game changing. And I think it's, it's being able to get there. And, and I think machine learning is the first step to helping us get to that level of automation and then the level of AI that will help us deliver those precision decisions and then improve prove a concept we call decision velocity. And decision velocity is like this, Keith. Uh, machines make decisions 100 times per second. Physicians, frontline healthcare workers, administrators, they might be able to make a decision per second, but guess what? It might take you four weeks to get out of management committee. So how do we, how do we actually accelerate the decisions that need to be made and done on an automated basis? And then, of course, where do we make the exceptions and apply the human touch? Well, I think when you combine that with a couple of technologies, we're talking about the cloud, and the massive amounts of data, suddenly machine learning becomes extremely powerful to be able to apply machine learning across big data sets or multiple organizations' experiences can really get to learning much quicker and being able to make better recommendations or better ability to detect anomalies as well. These technologies all start kind of coming together to build on top of each other. 
You're definitely right. Those are foundational technologies. We're moving from transactional systems to more engagement, to orchestrating experiences, to delivering mass personalization at scale. And then finally, these AI-driven, ML-driven systems. That's where all the excitement happens, where things are contextual, they're relevant, they're happening in real time, they're predictive. They're even in some case happening before we even know it. It's going to take time to get there. And, and it starts really by getting into the cloud, getting to some level of automation of some of your systems, getting to some level of consistency, being able to interface with other systems easily. These are all going to be very important. I do want to just come back for a second on the supply chain. You mentioned that earlier. Where do you see the supply chain and healthcare needing to evolve? There's a lot of opportunities in supply chain and you tie supply chain and revenue cycle and you put those things together and you see some dramatic operational efficiencies and improvements. We typically start with the formulary trying to figure out, hey, where can we optimize on those costs? But there's a lot more than that. It's everything from DME to some of the other costs that are incurred by by managing those better, thinking about reimbursement better. In some cases, I think about new types of models in terms of access to patients. So the supply chain piece is super important. And I think a lot of times Times we don't have an understanding of the assets. We don't have an understanding of what's in the supply chain. We don't apply inventory turns the way a normal uh, manufacturer might even look at this world. So mm-hmm. I think there's some things to be learned from other industries in terms of optimizing supply chains, optimizing sourcing and procurement as well on that back end. There are huge opportunities when you're trying to think about which suppliers are more reliable, how much inventory, what's the vendor managed inventory that I need to keep par levels correct. I think those are all important. Yeah, and I think that's what we're hearing from our customers as well. Is, you know, first off, really needing to address the supply chain disruption and ensure that they have a diverse supply chain and able to monitor that and to be able to take more control of their sourcing efforts. Most importantly, starting to get a handle on their demand and what's driving that demand and being able to share that with their suppliers and start really have a good sense of what's happening across the supply chain and upstream into what's happening with their suppliers and starting to look at demand planning models and tying that into overall capacity planning and looking at how does you know, different aspects of the procedures and the beds drive what's needed in terms of equipment and devices, et cetera, to deliver that care. I think some of the things that have happened to respond to COVID-19 those skill sets are going to really translate into more advanced supply chain practices going forward in the future. You know, Keith, you're right. PPE was the wake-up call. COVID-19 exposed where the supply chain failed. Fragilities are, where concentration of sourcing proved to be an issue. We're going to see some changes in terms of requirements for where certain types of medicines are produced. So we're going to have to diversify our sourcing providers. In some places, if you're a government entity, there's also managing what you do with minority providers and minority sourcing capabilities. And so that also plays a role in managing the regulatory environment. But I think one of the most important things was the appreciation for a level of demand planning and trying to understand what type of demand to expect and what type of reimbursement on the other end for certain types of, whether it's equipment or pharmaceuticals. I think those all became very important. People started to be able to isolate and understand which procedures are important, which elective procedures are going to require, what type of supply chain requirements. We finally put all that together when suddenly there were no elective procedures in your ICU beds were shut. People start to see the impact, which they wouldn't have been able to do if they hadn't gone through some of the things that we went through in March through April. All those things are going to require change of processes 
investment in new technology. What advice can you give to healthcare providers that are looking to take on this type of innovation and ready themselves for the future? Yeah, there's a lot of things we can learn from other industries. And and one of them is really to go through the exercise of design thinking. And if you've never done that, or if you haven't had a chance to do that, it's where you really reimagine what the future type of processes are going to be like, putting yourselves in the eyes of that stakeholder. Maybe you're the patient, maybe you're the clinician, maybe you're the frontline worker, maybe you're an admin, maybe you're in the supply chain operations, and really to map out processes in that way and see where we can reduce inefficiencies, identify areas where we can't change things because regulations are set up a certain way. Maybe we lobby for those later. But the point being is really to think about ways to reinvent the experiences in a way that is useful to the stakeholder that you're looking at. And I think investing in that actually does help and having that design thinking mindset is important. I think the second piece is really get to the cloud as fast as you can where it makes sense. There's going to be hybrid models. There's going to be pure cloud models. Think about what works for your organization and think about how to get to the ability to access that data, access that analytics, uh, democratize that information to folks. The third piece is really spend time thinking about a metrics-driven approach. It's great to capture stats and analytics, but what you really want to have are action-oriented metrics, something tied to a financial result, something tied to an action that's occurred, and start measuring those and thinking about the five to 10 important ones for every procedure or for every department, or if you want to tie it back to your billing codes. I think that's important to to do that. And that will help you get a grasp of where you can start and and try and identify what are the top areas to, to go after or or to build that capability. And then, of course, build a culture of innovation. I think it's important. It is healthcare. People's lives are at stake. Thinking outside of the box can't have someone in jeopardy. But I think it's important to be able to think outside of the box to say, hey, what are barriers and why are these barriers in place? And to come at it from that approach. And that helps both from a design thinking perspective, but also in, in terms of the notion around digital transformation. And then the last piece is going to be able to rethink different models. We've seen it, right? We've seen the rise of urgent care. We've seen the rise of telemedicine. We've seen the rise of you know pharmacy script companies by mail. You see all these things changing the market around healthcare. And, and we're going to see even more as, as the quantified self and all these fitness devices are monitoring folks ahead of time from heart rate monitoring to the ability to diagnose, you know, personally do self-diagnosis in, in terms of blood testing kits and testing kits in general for different areas. And it's thinking about where the healthcare institution fits in that continuum of care. I think when you start by thinking about what's possible and thinking about having a culture of abundance versus a culture of scarcity, I think that helps free up the mind so you can actually think about what's possible and what's next. Fred, I love that point about developing the culture of innovation. It's so important to really look at these investments in technology as a way to enable more innovation to support new processes versus just looking to automate the same processes. And without that innovation, it's going to be tough to respond to all the changes that are happening in healthcare. And we expect to just, it's one thing we know about healthcare, right? It's constantly changing. There's constantly more disruptors and more need for innovation. So those points are really well taken in terms of where healthcare providers need to focus. You know, you also reminded me of this thing, like, don't do the same darn thing faster and in a new platform and continually be wrong. There's a lot of that that goes on. You're like, hey, new platform, let's do this again. And it's like, uh, do you want to take the time to rethink how you want to do this? And most people, unfortunately, might not have the time to go do that. But I think it's really important to build that into your planning and your budgeting for future projects, because there are a lot of opportunities. And a lot of that is also talking mm-hmm. to people that are in the front lines. They can tell you how it really is and what they have to go through. 
Yeah, great. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us today on the Workday Podcast, Ray. That's it? Time flies? Oh my God, Keith. All right. Well, hey, thanks for having me and look forward to another conversation in the future. Thanks.